don't know about you, but I've really appreciated this series on the Lord's Prayer. It's a really simple prayer, isn't it? It's something we say in school. A child can say it, but it contains such depths that great theologians haven't exhausted its riches in 2,000 years of study. So I've basically lived in it for the whole of September, not just because I've been preparing for today, but because we've been working through it, and because I've been so blessed and encouraged by the other people who've spoken on the earlier verses. So I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to you. Um, You know who you are. Um, I've been really blessed. So because it helps us to focus our hearts on our Father before we think about ourselves, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to pray it again. I'm going to use a contemporary paraphrase. Actually, if you're interested from the Passion Translation, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's sometimes rephrasing it can help us re-engage with the power of the prayer. Our Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. So in the first two weeks of this series, we looked at who God is and how we should put his priorities first. And then last week, for the first time, the prayer turned to ourselves. And we thought about how we are utterly dependent on God for all our needs. This week, we come to the verse, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I've gone back to the NIV because that's my default setting. So the the Lord Jesus is turning our prayers to our relationships. First of all, with the Father, which is obviously the most important, and then with others. And as I've been studying this verse over the last month, I've come to feel like in these 12 words there is the whole of the gospel and the whole of a rule for living in community so um, I'm going to try and do it in 25 minutes but I've done a couple of minutes already so don't worry Um, so Martin Luther obviously had our first reading from Luke in mind because when he writes about this particular verse he says the world is divided into two groups of people those who think they're quite all right thank you very much and those who know that they aren't. In other words, like the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now that might be a little bit of an oversimplification, but the point he went on to make is that what actually counts is a completely different um, separation, which is whether you know that you have been forgiven by God or not. Of course, he says, there's actually only one type of person. Everybody is not really good enough and needs God's forgiveness. But some people realize it and some people don't. When I first became a Christian, just before I went to university, 
I was going out with someone from sixth form who wasn't a Christian. And I had a feeling this might become a bit of an issue. Um, And I told him I thought we should split up. When I explained this was because I had um, become a Christian, which I admit I did very badly because I didn't really have the words for it at that time, he said he didn't think that was a problem. He was quite happy to carry on going out with me, which I think was very nice of him, really. But he added, he was really surprised that I, of all people, needed such a crutch because he'd always seen me as a very strong person. And that was when I knew the relationship was really over. (laughs) The idea that my new faith was a crutch was just ridiculous. It sort of implied that if I didn't have it, I could struggle along just about okay. I was only a baby Christian, but I already knew that it was not just a crutch. It was more like a stretcher or possibly a life jacket or even a parachute. I was utterly incapable of struggling along on my own. I couldn't live up to my own standards, let alone anybody else's, and certainly not God's. And I had recently become convinced that God did actually exist. So there was nothing for it but to just throw myself on his mercy and ask for forgiveness. Later on, I learned that there's a bit of jargon for that. It's called repentance. So what is God's forgiveness like? Well, a couple of weeks ago, while the men were having a fabulous time at the Poplars, it was incredibly sunny here. It was the last really hot day of the year. But I felt a bit down because Andrew was away. So I made myself some breakfast and I thought as a treat I'd go and sit outside on the balcony and have breakfast in the sun. It was just amazing. The warmth of the sun was just went through to my bones and it, because it was September I didn't worry about getting burnt. It was just perfect in every way. And as I sat there, I felt that God was saying, this is a picture of my forgiveness. Not a complete picture by any means, but a picture nevertheless. I didn't deserve the sun that morning, but I could still sit out in it and bask in it, revel in it, feel it warming me right through. All I'd had to do was go outside my house. I don't actually deserve God's forgiveness, but I can bask in it. I can revel in it. I can feel it soaking through and healing my aches and my pains and my inadequacies and my failures, healing my hurts. All I have to do is step out of my self-reliance, just like I had to step out of my house that morning. And then I got to thinking a bit more about how my house represents me. I like to make my house look beautiful, welcoming, impressive even. But it doesn't really matter whether it's beautiful or whether it's a complete wreck. Because if I had to live in it all the time and could never go outside, it would definitely start to feel like a prison. And that's like my life. It doesn't matter how fantastic my life is or whether it's a complete wreck. If I'm totally dependent on what I can build myself, 
then I'm never going to experience the joy of stepping out into God's freedom. Inside my own house, inside my life, I'm limited. But when I step out into the sunshine of God's forgiveness, I can live an unlimited life. So how how do we get this incredible freedom? Well, when I was reflecting on this verse, it occurred to me, and I wonder if it's occurred to any of you, that Jesus is the only person in the whole history of the world who didn't actually need to say, forgive us our sins. But he wasn't like the Pharisee. He didn't say, oh God, thank you that I'm not like other men. What did he do? Well, someone has described it as if the whole of humanity was imprisoned by their sin. And there was nobody to pay the bail price to get them out of jail until Jesus came. And because he was perfect, he was outside the jail and he could pay the bail price. But sometimes prisoners don't want to get out of jail. They are frightened what's on the outside, so they sort of self-impose protective custody. Sometimes they don't want to owe a debt to the person who could get them out by paying the bail. And our Father in heaven doesn't make us. He waits for us. Jesus said that he stands at the door and knocks. And we have to open that door to him. It makes me really sad that a lot of people who don't have faith, and it makes me even sadder that some people who do have faith think that being a Christian is about living a limited, restricted, rule-bound life, that it's boring, that it's free outside, but inside is like living in a prison. But actually, it's the opposite, because God's forgiveness breaks us out of the prison of our own sin. It breaks us out of the box we live in, the walls being formed by our limited vision. Freedom is what characterizes the Christian life. Forgiveness brings freedom. Freedom from condemnation, freedom from guilt, freedom from other people's and our own expectations, freedom from self-loathing, Freedom to be the person God created us to be. Freedom to be his beloved child. This four-word prayer, forgive us our sins, blasts open the prison walls and releases us into the freedom of God's kingdom. And Jesus teaches us to pray this every day so that we don't stop living in freedom and we don't let those walls of sin close in on us. I love the fact that we have night and we have mornings. Chance for a fresh start every day. If we just turn to our Father and say, forgive us our sins. And then having established all that, Jesus then goes on to say, Forgive as we forgive those who sin against us. And I think the relationship between these two types of forgiveness, God's forgiveness and our forgiveness, 
is so important that Jesus expanded on it immediately after he taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer. He said, if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I, I think that's quite terrifying. And I think Peter found it quite terrifying as well because... We hear a bit later on, and that was our second reading, we hear that he goes to Jesus and he says, if I forgive someone seven times, is that enough? And I think maybe one of the other disciples had been annoying him a bit. Um, And we heard Jesus' answer in our second reading. So I just want to have a look at what I think Jesus is saying a little bit more closely. I do not believe that Jesus is saying it is transactional. We do not, we cannot buy our forgiveness from God by forgiving other people. If we go back to the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew and in Luke, the Greek words which link God's forgiveness with ours actually are saying, therefore, much more than they're saying because. God's forgiveness of us gives rise to our forgiveness of other people. But Jesus makes it clear it's a really important therefore. So first of all, our experience of God's forgiveness changes our hearts so that we are able to forgive other people who have hurt us. If it doesn't, it implies that we don't really understand properly who God is and how much he's done for us. It's part of loving like God, living in community. It's essential, in fact, to do what God calls us to do and live in community. But he doesn't expect us to do it in his own strength, in our Of course he does. He doesn't expect us to do it in our strength. He sends the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. We do it in his strength. What does that mean? If we are unable to forgive others, then the Holy Spirit cannot be living in us. First point. Second point. Jesus teaches us to not judge others. Judgment belongs to God. In fact, he says, take the log out of your own eye before you try and take the speck out of your neighbor's. If we measure up somebody else's sin and we decide that it is worse than ours, it's unforgivable, in fact. We're setting ourselves up as a judge over them. And that's actually sin. So we can't ask God to forgive us if we are deliberately choosing to carry on sinning in this way. I want to share a story with you that helped me understand this. Early in 1944, Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy were arrested in Holland for hiding Jews from the Nazis. They were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy sadly died there, but miraculously, 
due to a clerical error, Corrie was released at the end of the year. After the war, she opened a convalescent home for others who'd been released from concentration camps. And there she shared how Betsy had transformed the atmosphere in their dormitory in Ravensbrück through her practical love of others. Even praying for and forgiving the guards to Corrie's constant astonishment. One day after the war, Corrie was invited to speak in Germany. And after the talk, a man she recognised came up to say how much her gospel message of forgiveness had meant to him. He had been a particularly sadistic guard in Ravensbrück. He went to shake her hand and she found herself frozen, unable to move. She wrote about it in her book, The Hiding Place. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. But she still couldn't lift her hand. So she prayed again, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. She said that as she finally shook his hand, this this sort of wave of love came out of her towards him. She discovered it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on God's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. Corrie went on to run rehabilitation centres in Germany for homeless and traumatised Germans. Now her story, I think, illustrates another reason for forgiving others. Just as being forgiven by God brings us freedom from guilt, forgiving others brings freedom as well. From anger and bitterness. As long as you are still bearing the pain of unforgiveness of other people's sins against you, their sin is actually imprisoning you. When you forgive them, their sin is no longer damaging your relationship with your Father in heaven. Your forgiveness of them blows open the box or the prison that their sin has put you in with the power of God. You can live outside in the light of God's love and forgiveness rather than in the prison of man's wrongdoing and hatred. This is a huge subject. And I feel I'm really only scratching the surface. But there are some things that it's really important to know that forgiveness is not. Forgiving someone does not mean saying or pretending that they haven't done anything wrong. Forgiveness does not mean, and I can't emphasize this enough, that you have to remain in a place where you are being harmed. 
Forgiveness does not remove the need for punishment of crimes. And forgiveness is not always instantaneous. It is very often a process. It took Kari Ten Boom many years before she reached the point where God was introduced her to that God. And even then, it was a struggle for her before she could truly forgive him. And finally, forgiveness heals your spirit, but it does not mean that all the emotional and physical consequences for you are dealt with immediately. You may need much time and prayer, counseling, even medical treatment. And some things will only be put right in heaven. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to share a a, a bit of a silly example, you might think. My son was mad on sport um, until he broke his leg in a rugby match when he was age 13. Really nasty break, and it essentially ended his sporting career. Now, he'd forgiven the lad who fouled him before he got carried off the pitch on a stretcher. My son got carried off the pitch, not the boy. Um, But that accident has consequences. And it still has effects in his life today. But God has a way of redeeming those consequences. We just have to trust him with them and not try and do it ourselves. My son doesn't play rugby or cricket anymore, but he's very happy. He works for the RSPB in Scotland, and on his days off, he runs up and down mountains. (laughs) There's one final point that I want to make about forgiveness. Before I finish, you'll be pleased to know. You need to forgive yourself as well as others. Some of us struggle to believe that God really loves us, that he has really and truly forgiven us for everything we've done wrong and will carry on doing so if we continue to trust him. Sometimes we carry the blame for things that other people have done to us. We say inwardly, it must be because I'm so bad or so unlovable that this bad thing happened. If you feel like that, it's another example of the spiritual consequences of other people's sin on your life. You need to pray through that with wise friends, trusted counsellors, so that you can let go of false guilt and shame. Accepting God's forgiveness for the sins you have committed, not for the ones you haven't. Then you can ask God to help you forgive those who have hurt you and start to be healed. There's another reason we sometimes don't forgive ourselves. It's because we think we're too bad for God to forgive. Actually, that's a form of pride. You're putting yourself above God. You're saying your judgment is more important than his. Believe the promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness.
I love it when Paul writes, I am the worst of sinners. And I wonder, is he remembering that he persecuted the early Christians? Is he remembering he was an accessory to the murder of Stephen? I love it because of what he says next. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him. So just going back to Corrie ten Boom, she writes very movingly about when she was released from Ravensbrook, sent back to Holland on the train. She could barely walk. She staggered from pillar to post. Eventually, she struggled into a hospital where she was scooped up by a nurse. There were no beds, so the nurse put her in a nurse's room. She ran her a hot bath. She bathed her wounds. She brought her fluffy towels and clean clothes to wear. Forgiving yourself means allowing God's cleanness to overwhelm your dirtiness. His robes to clothe your nakedness. And believing him when he says, you are his beloved child and you are truly free. Forgiveness is really powerful stuff. Forgiveness brings freedom. God's forgiveness of us frees us from the prison of our own sin and guilt. And our forgiveness of others frees us from the prison of their guilt, their sin. Jesus died for you. Accept his, forgift, his gift of forgiveness both for yourself and for others. Step out of the box and into the sunshine. I'd just like to close with a prayer. Abba, Father, forgive us for all the things we have done which were not in your will and for the things we have not done which you wanted us to do. Help us to live in the light of your incredible unmerited love and forgiveness. Help us to forgive the people who have sinned against us, whether this is a little thing or a big thing. When we struggle to forgive, fill us with more of your love. Fill us with your spirit so that we can love our brothers and sisters in you unconditionally and love our enemies too. We pray that as we love one another, others would see the way we live and love and know that we are your disciples. In the name of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ, we claim all your promises. Yes and Amen.